Well, good morning, Good Shepherd. I am Talbot Davis. I'm the pastor here, and a lot of you are engaging live, and others of you are live stream. However you're connecting, I'm always glad to connect back with you. And, and this is the actually the seventh week in this series, What in the World? We don't ever have seven-week series here, except we decided this was a really important one, one we needed to stick with. Today's message, last week, it was, What in the World is Going on with Kids These Days?, and today, it's called, What in the World is the Deal with This Church? Not the church, this church. Because as you already heard, there's a couple of important dates coming up over the next couple of weeks. And so I wanted to spend a few minutes talking with you, what in the world is the deal with this church? And to help us do that, if you have your Bible with you, I want to invite you to locate uh, the book of Revelation, chapter 3, and verses 14 through 22. And if you have your Bible and it looks something like mine and you don't know how to find Revelation, just open your Bible and turn right. You will eventually get there. It's the last book in it. Maybe your Bible's loaded on your phone and you can just scroll to it that way. And, and then maybe you don't have either the, of those options, in, in which case we have an option for you that we're going to put the words on the screen at just the right time like we do when we get together. Because one of those things that we believe about the Bible, and you may not know this, especially if you're new, but, but the Bible, this looks like a book, but it's not a book. It's a library written by a lot of authors over a long span of time in multiple writing styles. And that brings up a question, well, Talbot, what writing style is the book of Revelation? And I'm like, next question. Turns out, within one book, Revelation, there's a lot of different writing styles, and the opening chapters of Revelation are a letter. And so we're going to be looking at a letter within, and none of the book of Revelation is the crystal ball section of the Bible, just so you know, but we're looking at a letter within this kind of larger style of writing that has to do with visions and, and things at the end and things going on right now. But we are looking at a letter today, and it's a letter and you may not believe this yet. Just want you to know where, where we stand is in leadership. We believe that God breathed his life into this letter and all of scripture. He put his truth onto its pages. We believe at Good Shepherd Church leadership that the Bible is inspired and eternal and true. And out of that conviction comes a custom. Some of you already beat me to it. When we get together and talk about the Bible, we lift it up. And again, if you're new and you see phones in the air and Bibles in the air, and you're like, this is unusual. And we admit it. We used to try and say, no, it's normal. But then we just admitted how weird we are. We discovered this is a moment of oddity that shapes our identity as a community. We're a collection of people. We do not have life figured out, but we know that he does. And because he does, we're glad to surrender to his authority. Amen? Amen. And so before I say anything else, Let's pray. God, thank you for that your word is true, and thank you that it, it's over us as authority. And I, and I just pray that uh, you would fill me from the bottom of my feet to the top of my head with everything that is good and right and joyful and true about God, the Holy Spirit. Do this in me and through me and then in the lives of all those within the sound of my voice. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, not to uh, over-promise and under-deliver, Good Shepherd, but I think today is going to be so fun. At least it's going to be fun for me. 
Because we get to, in this message today, we get to correct the chronic misuse of one part of one Bible verse. And that chronic misuse that we get to correct of one part of one Bible verse is Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, where it says this, Jesus is speaking, here I am. Some of your translations say, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. And so we get to correct the chronic misuse of those words, and we get to do so in a way that helps us make sense of what is just around the corner in the life of Good Shepherd Church. I mean, isn't that great? We, we, thank you for saying yes. We, we, we get to look at this one part of one verse. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door, I will come in. Here's my voice and opens the door and come in and eat with that person and they with me. Because that verse, that one part of that verse, in church world, it's kind of famous. Now, if, you didn't, if you're like me and you did not grow up going to church and I didn't, you, you're like, I've never heard those words before. That's okay. You're, you're kind of just normal. But if you did grow up, going to church. You maybe heard those verses preached on. You got that verse in a card that someone sent to you. You had someone use that verse on you in conversation one time. Just open the door to Jesus. He's knocking on the door of your heart. You, it's kind of a well-known verse in that way. And, and you, you might be like, well, since it's so well-known and since it's on a card and in a cross stitch and a bumper sticker and a t-shirt, how is it misused? Was the, is the misuse sort of like what happened to that preacher you may have heard of one time who was new in the church and new in the community? This is a generation or so ago. And, and in order to get better acquainted with the people in the church that he was serving, he started going out to people's houses just to pay a pastoral visit. This is how we roll, after all. And so the preacher went up to one house of a congregant and he knocked on the door and nothing happened. He knocked on the door and nothing happened. And he rang the doorbell and nothing happened. And he could tell that somebody was in there. They just were not coming to the... It's so annoying when this happens, people. He, he could tell that they were there, just not opening the door. So finally, in frustration, he gets his business card out and he writes Revelation chapter 3, verse 20 on his business card. And he leaves it in the door. Well, he goes on by, by, about his business, and then the next Sunday after the Sunday services, one of the usher comes up to him, uh, having counted the offering, and, he, and found something in the offering plate, and he says, Preacher, this is for you. And it was his business card returned to him by that congregant whose house he'd visited, except underneath where the preacher had written Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. The congregant had written simply Genesis chapter 3, verse 10. And what does Genesis chapter 3, verse 10 say? I heard you in the garden, but I was naked. <laughs> and so I hid. giving you all kinds of ideas now. And so, so is that how this verse has been misused all these years? I stand at the door and knock. Not, not exactly. Actually, the way that Revelation chapter 3, verse 
20 has been misused for years and years and years is the way that we have taken these words, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. And we have made them, we've individualized them. Because a good chunk of you in this room, not everybody certainly, but a good chunk of you in this room was born in the United States, and it's the real habit of American Christians to make everything individual and everything personal. And so we say, oh yeah, isn't that nice that Jesus is knocking on the door of my heart and I'm supposed to let him in. That's how we have misused this verse. Now, do not hear what I am not saying. Jesus does, in fact, knock on the door of every human heart that beats. And more than anything, Jesus does want entrance into your heart as your Lord and as your Savior. That is true. But it's just not what Revelation chapter 3, verse 20 is teaching. And why do I say that? And why does it matter? Because of three initials that we use around this church a lot. C-I-E which stands for context is everything. And what is the context in Revelation chapter three? Well, as, as if you were paying attention earlier, you now know what the context is. Ah, it's a letter. But more than that, it is a letter not to an individual, it's a letter to a church. It's a letter to the church in the ancient Turkish city of Laodicea. How do I know that? Look at verse 14 of Revelation chapter 3, where it says this, to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, these are the words of the amen, the faithful, and the true witness, the ruler of God's creation. And what's going on in the rest of that letter is actually a rebuke. And, and why is the Lord rebuking the church in the ancient Turkish city of Laodicea? Because that church, with this combination of its affluence and its complacency, that church has kept Jesus out of its life as a congregation. The church has stiff-armed him. And Jesus comes along in Revelation 3, and he says to the church as a community, as a body, with the way that they make their decisions and with the kinds of things that they decide are important, he's coming along and he's knocking on their door and he says, let me in. Let me into this church that I bought with my blood and filled with my spirit. And how dare you leave me out? And I just believe that what it is that Jesus said to the, that church in Laodicea so long ago is what he says to every church today. And we need to make sure that we are listening very closely to what he says to this church this day, especially as we undergo this really interesting season. It's just a couple of weeks long, but just this really interesting season where, listen to me, we have to change some things in order to stay the same. We have to depart the denomination that gave us birth in order to have continuity with who we are and how we operate as a congregation. 
And as we enter that very serious, sort of heavy kind of decision, the good thing is we have so much cohesion and momentum here. But as we make those sorts of decisions official, we want to make sure that we are listening very closely to Jesus and that we are becoming the kind of church that he envisions in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. Because when, when a church hears the knock and it opens the door to Jesus, keeps that door open to him relentlessly, consistently, humbly. What does Jesus do when he comes in? Does he come in as a consultant? No, he's the king. Does he come in as an advisor? No, he's the Lord. In fact, as one pastor says, and this is the kind of church that we want to be, we don't get it right, but this is the kind of church we want to be and we will be, that Jesus doesn't come to take sides. He comes to take over. And so we have this privilege of being a church that is taken over, not by human agenda, not by the latest fad, not by what sounds cool, but we get to be a church who is taken over by the takeover king, Jesus himself. When, yeah, when Jesus comes in, he doesn't come to take sides. He comes to take over, and I love it. I love it when a church gets taken over because everybody's a little bit uncomfortable. Every, every, when, when Jesus takes over, everybody's a little bit inconvenienced. But that's okay. Because his great goal for your life is not your comfort, it's your holiness. His great desire for your life is not your convenience, it's your godliness. In, in, in fact, a, a church where Jesus has taken over so much like this note that I got from someone relatively new in our congregation. And, and, and just listen, I got some things I'm going to say afterwards, but you need, you need to hear this. This is, this is what it's like in a church where Jesus takes over. For a long time, I did not have a living relationship with Jesus. I broke up with him decades ago. I love that language. I broke up with him decades ago when I discovered alcohol and other self-seeking and destructive behaviors. I did have a growing relationship with a higher power that was keeping me sober one day at a time. So I had faith and trust that this power could work other miracles besides keeping a drink out of my hand. Several months into my marital separation, however, I was in a room upstairs at Good Shepherd setting up for an Al-Anon meeting. I suppose I can also identify as a serenity-seeking pilgrim. While opening the cabinet and looking for our bin of materials, I stumbled upon a bin labeled divorce care. I was intrigued. When I got home, I looked up more information about the class and it found and started in six days. And against my better judgment, I registered. I came to Good Shepherd the first night of class terrified, terrified of anything faith-based, terrified of church people, terrified of being a divorced woman, forever marked by what people might see as the disgrace of that. Pastor Ron, who I didn't know then, and I wasn't trying to get to know in my terror, he was in the lobby directing folks to the room, and I tried to flee from his friendliness as quickly as possible. <laughs> you cannot flee from Ron Dozier's friendliness. 
which I find funny now because being around Ron gives me light and joy in my soul. It's hard not to feel that way around him. Amen. I shared with the group, the divorce care group, the first night that I haven't called myself a Christian in a long time, but I do have a God of my own limited understanding. As the weeks went on, meeting in class, doing the on-your-own activities, and reading the daily emails, I began to understand more about Jesus, that he's available for me, that he's not far off and not aloof, that he loves me, and he's forgiving me, that I don't, for, I don't deserve grace, but he gives it to me anyway. By the 13th and final week, we were prompted to share what we got most out of this class, and I shared that I now have a living Savior named Jesus. I never knew that the Bible, parentheses, not book, is library. She really put it in here. Is the greatest love story ever told, and that includes me. I didn't like the process of alcoholism, of separation and divorce, but God used all of it to bring me back home to him. That's what happens in a church that opens the door to Jesus and says, come on in. You're not here to take sides. You are here to take over. And that's the kind of church that we're going to be. Can I hear an amen for that? Because, Good Shepherd, when, 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 when Jesus comes in to take over, he's going to bring his friends with him. I don't know if you realize that or not. And sometimes the realization that Jesus brings his friends with him when he takes over, that's exactly what causes some churches to bolt the door against him to keep him out because they don't want Jesus' friends. I may have told you before, another church, and the time another church, another town back in the 90s, and, and I was just convinced that church needed a van. They kind of did need a van. And, and one Sunday morning as we were talking about getting the van at that church and one of the long timers in the church comes up to me on that Sunday morning and his, his cheeks are flushed with rage and, and hands are shaking. And he says, Talbot, if you use that van to pick up black children and bring them to this church, it'll tear the church apart. And in one of those rare moments when I actually spoke unfiltered, I said, well, then we don't have much of a church to begin with, do we? We got the van, we got the, we got the van, and the man and his attitude left the church. I call that a net gain. So yeah, he, he brings his, his friends in, and, and Lord knows how important that is to us at Good Shepherd to, to be a church with all the cultures and the colors and the languages and the races, and what a marvelous thing that God has done. But it goes beyond that. When we talk about Jesus bringing his friends with him, it, it goes beyond just the way that people look. I mean, you, you just heard the testimony of a woman who is simultaneously in the middle of a divorce and recovering from alcoholism. Well, well know this, you, you might be sitting next to an alcoholic right now or next to a gambling addict or next to someone who cuts or next to someone who's plagued with porn. And all those hangups and all those habits and all those Hurts are why we are here as a congregation. So many times people think that going to the church is like going to the chiropractor. And what happens when you go to the chiropractor? You get an adjustment, right? Just quick, well, not quick, can hurt a lot, but you get an adjustment. And actually 
Church is more like going to a funeral home where you die to what's old so that you can rise to what's new. We, we think church is just getting a little tune-up. No, church is a complete overhaul out of the Jesus who loves you too much to let you keep getting away with your self-destructed behavior. Jesus is so for you, there are times that he must be against you. And when we talk about Jesus bringing his friends with him, he brings all his messed up, broken down people into the place where he, not us, into the place where he brings healing and hope. Because we're going to be a place that keeps its door open to Jesus. And when Jesus comes in, he's not coming in to take sides. He's coming in to take over. But he doesn't just bring his friends. He brings his word and, and because when we, I love, I love it when we lift the Bible together. I love it when y'all beat me to the punch. That's how I can tell people have been going to Good Shepherd longer than two weeks. They're like, let me, like, I gotta get it. But this is not just an act. It's not just for show. When we lift scripture up as our authority, we are declaring that we want scripture to shape who we are as individuals, and we want scripture to determine our lives and our direction as a congregation. And, and how, does, how does scripture de describe itself when we open up the book of Hebrews? What does it say about itself? It is as dull as a butter knife. No, it describes itself as sharp as a two-edged sword which means that scripture comforts and confronts, that it has kindness and severity, that it depicts a God who pours out love and wrath, grace and fury, all of it true, all of it held in balance, and we are going to be a church that has Jesus, welcomes Jesus to bring his word in with him. And I think that's why at Good Shepherd Church, this is nothing new, it's been going on a long time, but at Good Shepherd Church, we will be the kind of congregation where our methods always change and our message never does. Did you catch that? The, the, the methods, the packaging, like this place doesn't look anything like it did 20 years ago because methods all, I used to wear a suit, hello. <laughs> well, next you're gonna tell us you wore a robe. No, but... Methods always change. The message never does. Because I may have told you this before, but the gospel, when, when we talk about preserving the gospel, the gospel is this treasure, the good news of, of, of Jesus born, Jesus teaching, Jesus crucified, Jesus resurrected, Jesus reigning, Jesus returning. All that gospel is not given to us to improve, to update, to edit. It's given to us to pass on to others. We, we steward it. We, it's on loan to us. And you just need to know that the gospel, all that stuff about Jesus, it's always under attack. It's under attack from beyond. How can you believe that Jesus really is God? But get this, it's under mutiny from within. The gospel has always been subjected to mutiny from within the boundaries of church world. You may not know this, but every New Testament letter Words you may have heard of like 
Corinthians and Galatians and Ephesians and Romans and every letter essentially was written to correct false teaching that even in those earliest years of the church had already been begun to bubble up. So false teaching has always infected the life of the church. And in recent days, man, in, in, in modern church world, we have, we have seen reimaginings of Jesus. He's just a really good guy. It's not God in the flesh. He's a really good guy. We, re-understandings of salvation and, and yeah, redefinitions of marriage itself beyond the original design of a man and a woman to, to, to all kinds of new understandings of what marriage and sex and gender is, is all about. Please know this, that whenever the church modifies the word to satisfy the world, it does not win more converts, it only earns more contempt. And we recognize that we don't have the right to modify the word. We have the privilege to proclaim it. I guess you could say that, that in most ways, church is like Amazon. Now, anybody order from, you, some of you probably ordered from Amazon during this sermon for crying out loud. <laughs> but what does Amazon do? Amazon takes a product from the source where it's produced, and they deliver it to your door. And along the way, Amazon doesn't open the package to try and make it better. They don't change it. They don't alter it. They take it to the, from the source to your door. They do one thing. They deliver, and they deliver brilliantly. Amazon doesn't make anything, except a whole lot of money. They don't make <laughs> anything. They deliver everything. That's what we are. We Take the message from the source, the heart of God. And we deliver it to the door, the heart of this church, the door, the heart of the people in it. And along the way, we don't have the freedom to edit it, to change it, to, more accept, to make it more acceptable. We get to adore it. We get to cherish it. And then with everything that we have, we get to pass it along. And that's why, Good Shepherd, in the middle of a world that is so hostile to so many of the things that the church stands for, we do still believe that Scripture is true, that Jesus is the way to salvation, and that, yes, God's design, God's good and beautiful design is for sexual intimacy to happen between a man and a woman within the boundary of marriage. We're, un we're unyielding about that, but we're in a good mood for it. Because we know, we know that every design that God gives us is for our own blessing and for your own good. Because when Jesus comes in, he's not taking sides. He's taking over. And that's what in the world is going on with this church. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Hey, I'm going to invite you to rise on your feet as you're able. Because when you talk about a church taking an ancient message, putting it in modern packaging, you can't do better than the Apostles' Creed, something we have received 
from our ancestors in the faith. We're gonna declare it together. There's one line in the creed that people sometimes stumble over because they don't know what the word means. So I believe in the Holy Catholic Church and people are like, wait, I, th I thought we're not even gonna be Methodist, much less Catholic. <laughs> it just means universal. I believe in the church. Know this, there are people who have died for the privilege of declaring this creed that we get to declare in such comfort, recalling their courage and understanding that you are what you believe. Let's declare this together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried, the third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, a holy Catholic church. <laughs>